Okay, so this week on the show, we're taking you a little bit back in time, obviously from those chants with Marco Rubio. This is a Republican debate that happened a few months back. Right. We went to Charleston, drove down there for the day. And we didn't go just to hang out on the outside of the debate. We actually got to go inside. Yep. Somebody hooked us up with tickets. And this is the first time I've ever been to anything like that. And yeah. it was amazing. We're getting to be kind of a big deal. Not really. Actually, this was just a mutual friend that we have. And uh, he gave us some tickets. So Howard and I were really excited. We were going to get to see live, real-time debate. And before we would go into the debate, we wanted to interview just some regular folks and kind of see what was the temperature regarding Muslims in this political season. So that's going to be the show this week. Muslims, Christians, and and the the zombie zombie apocalypse. Muslims, Christians, and the zombie apocalypse. And the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a bunch of people that we wanted to interview, uh, but one guy stood out and we wanted to bring him on the show. Yeah, he sort of introduces the topic and frames it with what I think is a huge concern for a lot of people. You see, when you do polls nowadays, you see that more than 75% of the country thinks that ISIS is the number one threat that has to be addressed by politicians. So it's no wonder that our guy here frames it in these terms. It's all about national security. You can't have a border, I mean, a country without secure borders. It just it just can't happen. You can't have a... Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah, so borders comes up a lot, especially in this political race. Yeah, you have the southern border, which is a huge concern. Some politicians arguing how they're going to close the border and different strategies in which to secure the border. But it's not just uh, the border for the sake of national security. He's going to go into talking about securing borders actually is what defends sort of an idea of culture. And he defines a country in a really interesting way. Countries have a common language and a common culture. Those are the three things that define a country. If you don't have a common culture, a common language, or a secure border, you lose your country. All right, is that true? Well, honestly, Howard, as soon as he said that, I kind of was thinking to myself, well, my mother is actually Hispanic. I mean, I I eat most of my meals with uh, tortillas. Right, rice and beans all day long. And Howard... If you've never met Howard, just go onto our website and have a look. <laughs> he doesn't look like he shares a common culture with the guy that we're speaking with or myself. He looks a little bit distinct, um, a little Asian, actually. It was weird because as he was like looking at me, I was thinking to myself, does he not know that I'm not like, you know, like the traditional American, meaning like African-American or white? Um yeah, and you know, like in my head, since he was looking at me, I wasn't thinking that he was probably racist, um, but it had run through my mind. <laughs> yeah, so immediately Howard and I are probably wondering at the same time, what exactly does he mean with a common culture, language, and secure borders as what forms a country? Because we were both under the impression that this country was made up of a multiplicity of cultures, and so that's when we get into the discussion about multiculturalism. I've been to places in the Middle East, and 
you know, the borders are, are, are not well defined. And you have a lot of chaos because there's a lot of movement back and forth across those borders. People speak in different languages, different cultures. People think that everybody in the Middle East, you know, same culture. It's not, it's not the case. I get what he's saying, right? Uh, unity, there's something to unity. When everyone speaks the same language, everyone has the same worldview, ideas about stuff. But that's, I, I just think that's really idealistic. That's not reality. Okay, so there is a difference between unity and uniformity. Ooh, that's great. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, he's What he's talking about is he is not okay with the idea of multiculturalism. He would prefer, and this is what America has been for a very long time, the idea of assimilation theory. Right, right, right. And and we learned that in cultural anthropology. You know, like these cultures, they, they blend together and just become one, one thing. Uh, but I don't think that's been America... In a nutshell, right? You know, so we, they say we are a big melting pot. I'm not so sure if we're actually melting as much as uh, marinating together. <laughs> marinating. More of a stew, what yeah, have you. Like Maybe a, a salad. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we, we, we are working together, especially in big cities. You'll see a lot of people engaging with each other's culture. But at the same time, we're not so much becoming one. Well, that's the whole argument right now, is you have people that are approaching this and saying, nope, we all need to come under one sort of unified idea, one culture. Right. And then there's the multicultural approach that says, no, we have a, a variety of cultures and these cultures all contribute to the richness of society and so we need a multicultural approach. Now, Europe has historically taken a multicultural approach right? and Americans have seen some of the problems and have said, hey, multiculturalism has failed. Some of their own leaders, including Angela Merkel, mm-hmm. um, Cameron, and uh, British Prime Minister, have said that multiculturalism has been a failure. So they're still working this out and a lot of Americans are saying, we don't want multiculturalism. I think that's where he's coming from. Yeah, and I get that. I mean, people hear, we hear that a lot in the media, right? And uh, that, that, that makes sense to me. So it's not that uh, Howard, because he's Asian, like our friend here, wouldn't like Howard. He would like Howard because he speaks good English. And he understands and has gone through the American school system. He knows the Pledge of Allegiance. He has an idea. This is what's key here. Our friend has an idea of what it means to be American. And he thinks that Howard fits into that idea, so he's okay with Howard. And he doesn't want anybody to change those ideas. Um, I spent some time in Kirkuk, uh, which is right there on the border of, you know, Iraq proper and Kurdistan. But um, spent a lot of time in Kuwait. Kuwait, either one of you been to Kuwait? Perfect example of what multiculturalism does to a society. There is so much chaos in that country. Uh, I got stranded at the airport in Kuwait City, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago or seven or eight years ago for an entire 24-hour period because of a bad dust storm. I felt like I was in an old Star Trek movie where they went to um, a different... Um, planet? Planet, yeah, and they, <laughs> and they were all... <laughs> They were all in this, uh, you know, on the Star Trek movies, they would be in like this lounge and they had all these different people from all these different planets speaking different languages and they all look different and nobody could communicate. That's that's Kuwait. Because the America he knows isn't multicultural. He says if you add that, it's going to be a disaster. Um, Are you recording me now? Okay. Um, So that's, you know, multiculturalism. You can't have multiculturalism culturalism inside of a country that's that multiculturalism is between countries like the culture of america versus canada for instance or you know or mexico there's nothing wrong with any of them they're just different cultures when you get a bunch of people living inside of one country but they're all going in different directions what you have is multiple chaos trevor and i have been 
to many different countries. And just as somebody has, that's been well-traveled, I've never really thought multiculturalism as a disaster or, or chaos. I've always thought of it as something that's really beautiful. Well, you know, Howard, in some ways it can be chaotic just because if you have a country where multiculturalism is forced, for instance, if you have strong ethnic allegiances and then you draw a border around these and then you tell them, hey, now get along, that's kind of what he's referencing. And so you have these differing religions, differing ethnicities, sometimes even differing tribes, and they're saying, get along. We haven't had that experience in America because from the very get-go, I mean, it goes all the way back even to the Cherokee Indians, right? They decided that a nation could not exist within a nation. We need to have the Indian Removal Act push them out west because they knew there would be problems if you have exist two competing ideas of what culture and what America should look like. Right. So it really depends on how you view it. Um, And I do understand where he's coming from, where he says, if it's forced, it could be problematic. And that could be something that we're headed towards. Some people are completely against the idea of multiculturalism. And if it's forced on them, there will be a strong reaction. Wouldn't you argue that multiculturalism is actually already here in the United States? Yeah, you don't have to go to very many uh, big cities before you start to realize there's an incredible amount of diversity. And people that live in those cities and interact with that diversity, for the most part, I think love it. But you know what, Howard? We're in Columbia, South Carolina. I don't think that we have a real thriving sort of multiculturalism. And let me give you an example why. There is actually a bill that's trying to be pushed through here at the State House, as with many other states, to keep uh, immigrants from Syria and other uh, potential terrorist housing countries out of the state. There is a real sense of fear about bringing people here that are different than what we currently know. And I understand that. Like with the Muslims... um you know, potential radicals, but I'm talking about multiculturalism as a whole, like, because you can't just apply it to Muslims and it not affect everybody else. Like if we're not going to be multicultural, what does that look like? Is it only white people and black people and no longer me people, you know, (laughs) my peeps? Or what about my kids? Like my kids are half white, half Asian, right? How do, how do they fit? I don't know. I just don't think this is a viable argument. No, I don't think so either. And to be honest, there was a moment where, um, Your son was with my son at a birthday party, (laughs) and uh, another classmate of my son kind of looked over at your son and said, you know, I don't want to be racist, but where are you from? (laughs) And your son goes, "Uh, Jacksonville, Florida? (laughs) And he goes, no, like, where are you really from? Like, where are your parents from? And he's like, "Uh, I think Tennessee? (laughs) And I was like... Hey, he, he really just wants to know, like, what is your ethnic background? He's Korean. And he's like, oh, okay, that's what I was asking. But I didn't want to be racist. But that's the, you know what I mean? That's the complexity. Like, these kids are even starting to realize that America, the idea of America, it's different for a lot of people. That's why you call it an imagined community. Because neither you or I, Howard, or anyone else will ever meet every single American. Think about that for a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's impossible. So what do you do? You have to imagine what America is like. And how do we do that? through symbols, through ideas, through public school. Right. This is where assimilation takes place. Our experiences. Exactly. Right. And so if you live in an isolated small town in South Carolina, you do imagine that the rest of America is like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would totally agree with that. And, and then, if, except when you see it on TV, but then that just kind of edges in a little bit on your idea, but it's not uh, all-consuming because you don't experience that on a daily basis. No. And then if you go to L.A., New York any major city in the United States, you see that there is an incredible amount of diversity and that multiculturalism isn't this big, scary thing. Yeah. So, But that's what brings us to this next point that's really interesting about this guy. He's not just 
somebody that grew up in South Carolina and stayed here for his whole life. I worked for a contractor, and I went to Iraq in 2009 and helped run the uh, Iraqi flight school. And I taught young Iraqi boys, uh, young officers, um, how to fly helicopters. And I made, I was made real good friends with them. I never once felt unsafe around them. They were all Muslim. One was a Christian, but the rest of them were Muslim. They loved me to death. They never tried. They never uh, tried to force anything on me. They did quote scripture and t- talk about uh, Bible stories. The same stories that we have in the Bible, they have. Um, all of the same characters in the Bible they spoke highly of, and they knew the stories behind them. They would sometimes the name would be changed just a teeny little bit, but I knew who they were talking about. So we got along great, and we were able to share stories like that. They what really put me in a dilemma like you is the fact that they also honor Jesus. They believe he's a, uh, is the Savior. That I asked them, I said, well, then you don't, you, but you don't believe he died on the cross. No, they don't. They believe, at least these boys that were talking to me, believe that an imposter died on the cross and God took Jesus to heaven and to bring him back later. Um, so these these Muslim friends of mine, and, and I had dozens of them, that, and like I said, I, I trusted them with my life. Yeah, so I find that really interesting that uh, not only has he traveled overseas um, and been in many places uh, in the Middle East, uh, but he's actually talking to them about faith. Yeah, he has a lot of Muslim friends, but there is a difference here. He has no Muslim friends in the United States, but he yeah. has a lot of Muslim friends in countries like Iraq. Yeah, and so when I think about the kind of people that were going to be at this debate, I... okay. Does this sound bad? But I just kind of felt like they were all going to be like America, you know, like guns. And uh, there were a lot of people like that. (laughs) But in this case, like he was like he had traveled. He had been to the Middle East. He has Muslim friends. He was talking about Jesus with those Muslim friends. And and he said he trusted them with his life. Yeah, he kind of blows up a lot of the paradigms because I tend to tell people, hey, if you're really, you know, overwhelmed with fear about, you know, Muslims, you just need to make a Muslim friend. But this guy, he had made Muslim friends. Lots of them. And because he had had so many Muslim friends, it creates an even bigger conflict, this internal struggle, because what he sees in his Muslim friends and what he sees in the media and in groups like ISIS, they don't match up. So my dilemma, my confusion is, why are these radicals so vicious? Why are they so angry that they will, you know, torture you and cut your head off when, when my Muslim friends love me to death? And I'll tell you how, the only thing I can think of, Trevor, is we destroyed the, I know the Iraqi country, we, we destroyed it. It was a beautiful country, beautiful people, well-educated universities, uh, just a, a lovely, wonderful place, and we, we destroyed it. I think a lot of these ISIS people are the remnants of that. They've lost their families. They've lost their, their children, their brothers, their sisters. They've been in pain and suffering for years, and I think they're striking out, and they're so mad at us because we're Americans and, and Christians, they consider it the same. They are so angry that cutting your head off is, is the only pleasure they have left in the world. And that's, in my mind, that's why I think they're so vicious. It's because we took everything away from them. And they're just striking back, and, this, and that's the only way they know how.
All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you, you want like, to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you. Bring this show to the world. Then email us and let us know. Okay, I, I feel the need to say that regardless of what chance you hear in the background, this guy is not like a Marco Rubio. Well, he's not even a Marco Rubio supporter. He was actually there supporting another candidate. But this was sort of the area where all of the candidates' uh, supporters were being represented. The candidate he supported just had less of a cheering section. <laughs> yeah. You know what hit me, really, uh, is how real he just got there. Like, um, I don't know if you picked this up, but he was in the Middle East because of military. Uh, and he looked around and he saw what had happened. He talked about how Iraq was a beautiful country at one point uh, and, and what America had done, you know, by going to war. Uh, I, I thought that was a pretty deep admission. No, it certainly was. And I think it's uh, this sort of internal struggle that we've been talking about. He's about to enter into sort of being very vulnerable with us and sharing with us the internal struggle of he has these Muslim friends, he loves the country of Iraq, he sees ISIS, he sees military intervention and the results of war, and all the while, now he's back in America and he's trying to keep what he considers, you know, his country safe as best as he knows how. Right. But there is a moment in time when both of these worlds meet. While he might not have any Muslim friends in America... One of his Iraqi friends comes to visit him in America. He came to South Carolina and spent the weekend with us. Uh, did everything with us, uh, went with us to see our friends, went swimming with us, uh, you know, prayed, asked us if it was okay if he prayed, and he would want to make sure he, we, he knew which way east was, and he would get his mat out and he'd pray, and we'd sit there and watch him, and he'd say prayer, prayers for us. So, but he, of course, he left. But to answer your question, if I could bring him here, and his family, yes, I would do it. Okay, so this blew my mind, Howard, because I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, you already said you didn't want Muslims to come to this country because of multiculturalism, but his friend, he would be okay with coming. Right, he's kind of bending the rules, right? He's, he's set up these really strong boundaries about this is what I think America is, and now all of a sudden he's like, well, but, but that guy. He's different. Yeah, yeah, because, you know. He's different. He's just different. <laughs> and so I was immediately stirred and thinking like, wait a second, there's a breakdown in the argument here. And so I just asked him, like, even though this would completely go against multiculturalism, and he explains himself pretty well. No, because he wants to assimilate. That's the key. He, want, he, he, he wants to leave all that behind. He wants to be, he wants to be like us. He, you know, he'd still practice his Muslim faith, but he would, believe me, these boys were so westernized. They were nothing like what the media and people have an image of these Muslims. These boys were tech-savvy, they were funny, they told jokes, and they spoke English, and they wanted to come to America, not to change America, because they wanted to be like us. Those boys, they want to assimilate, and there's your problem. If you want to come here to change America, stay where you are. Okay? You want to come here to be an American, enjoy the greatest, uh, the, the greatest country on the planet? Then come to America and, and be like us. And these boys, that's, so if you want to come, I, I welcome anybody who wants to come to America from anywhere in the world to come and be a part of our culture, okay? 
instead of trying to change it or destroy it. But you got to imagine there's a spectrum, right? Like you can be your culture up until a point because he says they can be Muslims. Oh, yeah. He says that, you know, they can continue to practice their faith. And I'm thinking, I don't know if everybody that would want assimilation would say that practicing Muslim faith is going to fit. Right. So, like, where is this, you know, where do they fall on the spectrum? Who is it, you know, who makes, who governs these rules? How American do you need to be? Yeah, exactly. And what does that even look like? Because we have to measure up to his Americanness, which I get, you know, just like we were talking about before. We, we all kind of gain this idea of what Americans should be look like, you know, should, should uh, act like. Uh, but I just don't see it as realistic or fair as an Asian American. I would say that's not <laughs> fair. Uh, but yeah, you know what Howard's you, America. Well, Howard Howard's America includes kimchi. Yes, line. yes, and yours should too. Really, yeah. if you think it's about really it, it's really not bad. What? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the subject. Yeah, so it does kind of feel like he's uh, he's fudging the rules a little bit. He's kind of like it's not hard and fast in his head. Maybe he's just kind of making up as his go as he goes. Uh, you know what I was really thinking? I wonder if he eats Chinese food. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> Does he go to Asian restaurants? Does he like sushi? Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, yeah. It's just making me think. I don't know. Go no, I, I've actually thought that's one of the most beautiful things about America is that there is an incredible amount of diversity, yet a, a unity um, without uniformity. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. But I think he probably thinks that's great, too. He's just having a hard time articulating what that looks like because you heard him say right there, like, he's fine. He can practice his Muslim faith. I guarantee you some people that were on this guy's side up until this point are like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Yeah, yeah, hold on. That's not assimilating. He needs to become Christian in right. order to be in this country. Or or, or Christian enough. Christian right? enough. Christian enough. Not necessarily those radical Christians. Right. <laughs> yes, we all have an idea. Every listener out there right now, just think about it. What does your America look like? What is your ideal America? And then ask yourself, do you really believe that all of America thinks that way? And if not, how are we going to work this out? Because we are in the midst of one of the largest global migrations of history. Right. And we have to figure out what we actually think and believe about these things so that you can interact with your future neighbor who may not probably won't look like you. Right. Hey, but let, let's let's be fair and let, let's let him kind of uh, uh, bolster his argument a little bit. He gives us a little bit of an example, and I like this. I'll give you an, an analogy. I know some friends from up north. They hated it up in Boston. Boston. Overtaxed and just everything. They came to South Carolina, and within a year, they were talking about Boston constantly, talking about the food in Boston and how much better it was, and they can't get certain styles tomato sauce here because it's only in Boston, and on and on and on. I'm like, well, then go back to Boston. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's why you ran from something to come here, and now you want to make that same thing here. Go back where you came from. They'd love to have you. <laughs> And that's so that's my point. Howard, honestly, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, Boston and South Carolina are both in America. Yeah. Different ideas about what America should be like. Yeah. Different ideas about what tomato sauce should taste like. And it's kind of like it's in his face, but he's not he's not recognizing it. <laughs> no, because honestly, like I really appreciate this guy because he is dealing with the complexity of this entire discussion in ways that most people don't. Yeah, I love the self-discovery. That's cuz we're kind of going along this ride with him. You know, because we're we're kind of perplexed. I I you know, I don't know if you were looking at me Trevor, but when I was holding the mic cuz I was the mic guy, 
I was like sitting there with my brows furrowed. I'm like, what is this guy is so weird? Like it's so strange, you know? And and you could kind of see his wheels turning every time Trevor would ask him a question. And Trevor was relentless. He kept going at it and at it and at it, just kept getting deeper. It was incredible. Well, he had a deep love for his Muslim friends in Iraq and other countries as well. Uh, he had a very good understanding of the incredible diversity within Islam. But there was no connection between that and his strong feelings about anti-multiculturalism you know, in America. And so one question that was just really churning in my mind was, do you think that the majority of the Muslim world uh, would be represented by your friends or by groups like ISIS? And this is what he said. I think most of them are like my friends. I was in Egypt once, um, wonderful time in Egypt. I wasn't there long, but never felt insecure or, or unsafe. Um, Kuwait, as chaotic as that place is, very friendly. I would want me and my friends, two, two guys, we would go anywhere in Kuwait City and eat dinner and shop and so on and so forth. I've never felt threatened by a Muslim in another country. Even in Iraq, I worked, uh, I rebuilt an airfield. I was in charge of seeing that the airfield got rebuilt, which included all the, everything. And I had to, I would go out to the gate, this was in 04, and sign up local workers to come on base with me and I would get 20 or 30 men at a time they'd be in a big area uh, with, the, with these type of barricades that would be you know like eight ten times bigger than this and I would go and I would see my friends that I'd already worked with you know once I got started and started recognizing them I would go and I would pick them and tell them to come to me and I would get them through and they'd spend the whole day with me on the airfield never once felt threatened you know didn't hesitate to turn my back on them um, it's just a shame that the one of the my uh, puzzlements is that they don't the the good Muslims aren't speaking out against all this stuff. You never hear them speaking out, and that's a shame because I, I've been around so many good ones. Haven't we covered that topic uh, in in one of our shows in the past about, about whether or not Muslims are speaking out against yeah, terrorism? Right. Well, there's a there's a large amount of Muslims that are speaking out against terrorism. I it, mean, on all levels, you know, from you know scholars. To uh, large, you know, national political leaders, religious leaders, uh, right. it's not hard to find Muslims that are speaking out, but they don't near they don't get near the airtime, you know, in media. Right, and while he might have a point, as we don't see it in the media, but we were curious to see what his friends thought about terrorists. And if you have, uh, you know, little ears in the car listening with you, uh, we just want to preface this by saying one of the descriptions that he's going to give about the way his Muslim friends have encountered Muslim terrorists is pretty graphic. So we just want to give a little bit of a precursor for that. Yes, they called him terrorists and they hated him. They really despised him. Uh, so one young boy told me a story. When I say young boy, he was 19, 20 years old. He told me a story um, one night we were sitting around and he said that they called, they just said the terrorist. The terrorist caught me and I think he said two of his friends or three of his friends and they took a, a power drill uh, and drilled a hole in the two of them's head and killed them and then they told him they let him go and say go tell all your friends you know that this is what we'll do to you if you don't do x y and z they would have to leave their uniforms on base this was in Kirkuk and leave their ID cards and go on their they call it a vacation every two weeks they got like five days off and they would go, most of them were from Baghdad or the Baghdad area. And they couldn't tell anybody they were working, they were in the military because they were afraid terrorists would kill them. Yeah. That was in 09 when we supposedly had, excuse me, had won the war. Yeah, that's something else that I was thinking about when he was saying that Muslims aren't speaking out. That in country, 
there is a there is a cost and a lot of times it's terrible i mean like you see here where these uh, uh muslim friends of his are just you know helping the u.s military right and they're risking their lives to do so right and that's that's a huge cost so to even speak out and say hey you want know these these radicals are wrong this is not what islam is and, and so on and so forth uh you can imagine you'd be risking your life absolutely and what I just find most impressive is that a lot of these young men in Iraq, these Iraqis, are risking their lives for our own soldiers as American soldiers. Right. And he has experienced this. And he has heard his own Muslim friends talk about how they hate the radicals. And he has seen how his Muslim friends are very loving to him. He even brought one to his home, uh, you know, to go around. And he even, he's a very open-minded guy. I was shocked. Like, he had him, allowed him to pray in his home. Uh, told him all, where East was. Yeah, told, pointed him in the right direction, provided <laughs> right. a space for him. Right. All of that has been totally trumped, n- no pun intended, maybe a little intended, has been totally trumped by fear. I'm afraid because my gut feeling is a lot of these people, they're not refugees. Okay, they're, they're, if they were refugees if, and if we were so open to welcome, why wouldn't we welcome my, my, my friends from Iraq over here? And they can't come over here. I'm, I'm very concerned that the ones that we're bringing in are not as friendly as my friends were. That's just my concern and my gut feeling. Because it seems like we've targeted a, a certain group versus all Muslims. You don't see a bunch of Egyptians coming over or Jordanians necessarily. It's all this one special group. And it's like there's this hysteria, as you say, to get them here. To, you know, to not try to do any vetting. Not just We just... I'm always worried when a politician says, we can't wait, we have to act, okay? Our founding fathers warned us against that because when you get in a rush and you start making a decision in a crisis or in a rush, generally you're going to make a bad decision. And when I hear a politician say, we must act, we have to do something now, it scares the heck out of me. So obviously this is happening during the time where there's this, you know, this push to bring over Syrian refugees. Right, and it is not necessarily a targeting of one group. There is a crisis, a global crisis. And they're actually running away from radical Islam. And his concern is, one, I'm afraid that these people may have ulterior motives to come here. And quite frankly, it's possible. Right. I mean, anyone could have ulterior motives in coming here. Two, he's concerned that there is a push by the current administration to get them here. And he feels like maybe there's some ulterior motives behind the administration getting these Muslims to this country. And, and I get what he's saying, but at the same time, you know, my natural reaction is you can't know. There's, like he said, there's no vetting process, but what would that vetting process even look like? Um, are you a Muslim? Yes. Are you a radical Muslim? No. <laughs> I, mean, exactly. I mean, what would that look like? Uh, I, I mean, how much countless dollars would that, would that take? Uh, but then again, bringing it back to Christ, if we are Christians, right, we have Muslims, and by his own response or his own belief that the vast majority of Muslims fall into his friends category, those Muslims are coming to us. And we have an opportunity when they're in need to respond Christ-like. And you'll see a revival. No doubt, you will see a revival. Yeah, I think that the Bible is pretty clear about our uh, teachings on loving the immigrant, loving the sojourner, loving the stranger. But I also get where he's coming from, Howard, if there's this conflict, right? There's these two competing ideas. I am a one citizen of heaven, and I am also a citizen of America. And when those two things start competing... Who wins?
So we really appreciate you guys listening to the show today. My personal goal is that we hit 100 iTunes reviews. 100 reviews. And listen, if you are the 100th reviewer, uh, we'll send you something. Yeah. Wait, no, wait. Now everybody's going to wait to be the 100th reviewer. No, keep reviewing. Keep reviewing. Special prize for at least one reviewer. We don't know which one. It could be Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll pick one. We'll just pick one. Could be 35. Uh, but thank you for those that have already written reviews. Uh, uh, I don't know if we shared this before, but we got on the new and noteworthy. We did. Uh, in religion and spirituality. Right, which was unbelievable. I, to be honest with you, I didn't think that was going to happen, but it has. Uh, I was fully confident we could do it. Right, and there, I just want to say this, too. There are other ways you can listen to this podcast if you're not an iTunes subscriber. Right. If you're a Droid user, you could uh, download uh, an app for podcasts. We're on different uh, programs like Stitcher. Right. Um, You can listen to it on SoundCloud. Google Play. Uh, right. And just, just all you got to do is type in Muslims, Christians, and the zombie apocalypse. I'm pretty sure we're the only one that will ever come up. Let's hope we're the only ones that ever have that name. <laughs> so uh, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. This is Howard. And this is Trevor. Uh, be sure to spread the word about the show. We'll see you later. <laughs>